Let us pray. For the joy of human love, brother, sister, parent, child, friends on earth and friends above, for all gentle thoughts and mild. Lord of all, to thee we raise this our hymn of grateful praise. So here it is, our last full day of camp, my last talk. It has been a wonderful journey for me to um, prepare for these talks, um, pull together the um, threads of my spiritual path and share them with you uh, in a very safe and loving environment. And I've realized, I was thinking about this last night as I was trying to get to sleep, that um, God really has been with me on this journey. Uh, as I recounted different stories and experiences, it just brought to mind how guided I have been in the love of Jesus and the love of God and all those heavenly beings that have been with me on my path. As I mentioned earlier in the week, um, in preparing for these talks, I set a meditation and set an intention that God would show me what I was to talk about. And so one morning, as I was going about my morning routine, I fed my two dogs, I made my coffee, I took it outside onto my patio, and um, I welcomed the morning and I asked Spirit, what is my next topic for camp? And after a little while, as I looked around my garden, the phrase that came to me was, Garden of Delight. So that's my topic this morning. In one corner of my backyard is a giant orange tree. Uh, it was there when I moved in, and it produces a huge abundance of delicious oranges. Um, they ripen at a different time than some of the other orange trees in Sacramento, so they come into ripeness in about April, and they're still ripe all the way into July. And um, it produces so much uh, so many oranges that I have a neighbor who makes jams and jellies um, as her occupation. And so she and her husband come down and they pick boxes and boxes of them. And then she makes orange marmalade that is absolutely delicious. And then she supplies me with about five or six jars of orange marmalade as her thank you. And uh, I'm, I think I get the better end of that deal. Um, I share oranges with friends. I gave a bag to Diane, who shared them with her parents. And I juice them in the morning for just a wonderful, sweet orange juice. Uh, I load up neighbors and friends with them. And it still, still produces more oranges than I can even use. And the tree is so tall, I can't even reach the upper one. So those are for the squirrels and the birds. And then I looked 
around the rest of my yard. And I have, when I moved in, um, my yard already had mature camellia bushes. And Sacramento uh, calls itself the camellia capital because camellias do very well in our climate. And I have about seven different camellia bushes around my yard. And when I first moved into my house in about 1996, um, one of my neighbors walked by. My fence had blown down, so my backyard was open to the street, um, street uh, and sidewalk. And he said, oh, you bought Mrs. So-and-so's house. You know, she planted all these camellia bushes a long time ago, and she used to win first prize in the camellia festival every year with the camellias out of your yard. So I felt very blessed about that. And those bloom in February. I have one camellia bush that starts blooming in November, and it carries into about February, and then all the other camellias start coming in at different times, and there's just a beautiful variety of colors and, and types of camellias in there. A long time um, ago now, um, shortly after I bought my house, maybe a few years after I bought my house, the backyard was, it had the camellias and it had the orange bush and it had uh, dirt where it used to have a grass and um, it's hard pan clay so grass doesn't do real well back there. It gets muddy and thick heavy mud in the winter and dry fine dust in the summer and when I got a dog um, she ran around all the time and in the winter she'd come in muddy and in the summer she came in dusty and I finally decided I wanted to put some of my resources into landscaping so a friend of mine recommended this man to come and, and do the landscaping. He was an independent uh, landscape architect and um, kind of an interesting character. He had been living in Mount Shasta, which if you know anything about that, it's, it's kind of an interesting place in California. And um, He told me that he loved Mount Shasta, but the mountain had kicked him out, and so now he was in Sacramento. And he was living um, that summer in um, a place about an hour and a half drive from my house. But he said, you know, that wouldn't be a problem. He could come each day and, and work on landscaping. So he started trenching and digging out, you know, the old grass and, you know, started laying the framework of uh, my backyard. And so he would ask for money in advance so he could go and purchase what he needed and that kind of thing. So I was doling out the money. And then one day he didn't show up. And then the next day he didn't show up. And then finally he showed up. And I said, well, you know, what's going on? And he said, well, I have a little problem because um, my car broke down. And I don't have any way to get here. And he said, and then the other problem I have is that I'm supposed to be working on this organic herb farm, but because I've been doing this landscaping, she fired me. So now I don't have a job and I don't have a car. Well, meanwhile, my yard was a complete torn up mess. And so in some weird impulse of mine, I said, well, I have a guest room and I need to have my backyard finished. Why don't you move into my guest room? <laughs> So for the next four months, he lived with me, and then his son came out, who was a young adult, and he was going to go to band camp, but it hadn't started yet, and so he asked if his son could move in also, so his son moved in, and then he started doing uh, jobs on the side, and so he would disappear, and then he'd ask for money for my project, but he'd spend it on the other project, and 
It was quite an ordeal. <laughs> and I came home one time to find a circle of people sitting in my living room, and he was doing psychic readings in my house. <laughs> this is California, yes. So I said, you know, you don't have my permission to bring people in and do this other work. You're supposed to be working on my garden, and I would like to have this done at some point. So finally, eventually, he did get it done, and um, he did a beautiful layout, and he had put in a place along the uh, front fence where my dog could run along with, you know, without destroying the landscape, and he built in little mounds and ferns, and you know, we got a little artificial waterfall in one corner and kind of laid out this, this uh, lovely yard, um, but it, it was quite an ordeal. <laughs> Um, and then at some point I decided to put in artificial turf after the third time of replacing grass with the sod that would then get trampled by the dogs and die anyway. I finally put in artificial turf that looks pretty real. And so I have green grass all the time without the hassle of a lawn. And um, my dogs love it too. I now have two border collies and they're brother and sister and they're 10 years old. Um, and they chase each other around. I have a little hot tub around my patio and they run around in circles in this figure eight chasing each other every time I go out to prune or weed or something. It's like that's their job and so they're busy, you know, hurting each other. Um, and then they run across, across the fence, you know, if a dog goes by outside. And so it's, it's their garden of delight as well. So I, I sat that morning enjoying my garden and looking around I wondered how this would tie into a talk at this camp. So I went within and asked, what else am I supposed to say about this? And what came was this, where in your life is your garden of delight? And how often do you go there, both for real and in your mind? I believe God wants us to enjoy the bounty and beauty he has provided us. And it is important for us, I think, to take time, no matter how busy we are, to find that peace and joy. And when we do, we elevate our vibration. We open our hearts, and I think we expand our energy fields. And I think this is so important that we do this. I believe we are called to be joy-filled. It's not a selfish thing. It's a survival thing not just for us personally, but for everyone we are around. We are beings of energy, as I demonstrated the other night with the energy tube that you saw. When we had a connection, the tube lit up. When we dropped the connection, the tube went out. In the realm of quantum physics, scientists will tell you that energy is all we are. Bruce Lipton, in his book, The Biology of Belief, says that if you were able to shrink down to the size of an atom, and if he gave you a camera and said, now travel through that atom and take pictures all the way through, when you got out the other side, there would be nothing on your film or in your digital camera. Because what we are is field of possibility. We can influence matter by our energy and intention. I think that's the basis of healing. I've often thought it would be interesting to write a book called Quantum Jesus, um, but I haven't done that yet. So, 
Um, but I, I do think that there is a field. Jesus promised us that these things I do, you can do also, and greater things than these you can do. And I think that that field, and maybe we call it God, I don't know, but um, physicists call it the field, it connects us all. It, it is permeating our very being, and we are all a part of it, I think, all life, all beings. Um, both in our planet and in the universe, are all part of this field. There's a book I read called The Field by a woman named Lynn McTaggart, and she wrote it quite a number of years ago now, but she interviewed physicists about quantum, uh, the quantum field and then wrote this book, and so it was one I could actually read and kind of comprehend, but it really opened my eyes to this whole concept of our connectedness in this quantum field. And it, for me, it explains a whole lot of phenomenon that we think of as woo-woo or um, unexplainable um, if we're all connected in this field. Uh, Stanford um, University did a lot of research into um, paranormal psychology, they call it. And they built an um, actual room that is all lined with copper or lead or something to um, kind of shield it from any external forces. And then they ran experiments with people who were able to, um, I forget what the term is called, but they were able to identify um, a place by giving uh, map coordinates. And so there would be somewhere, someone somewhere out there that would come up with some place that they were going to use as their subject. They would write down the map coordinates. It would go through about three people in a sealed envelope and ultimately be given to the subject in this sealed room who would then concentrate on the map coordinates and describe what visual image came to them. And there was one person in particular who was a realtor from Lake Tahoe, I believe, who was particularly adept at this. And they gave him map coordinates. And he said, well, I see uh, it's several buildings. And they're kind of laid out in a very symmetrical pattern. And um, they said, well, can you see any more detail? And he said, well, they have numbers on the sides of the building, um, big numbers. And they said, can you get any closer? And through this process, he got so close that he could be see inside the building, in the office, you know, what was labeled on the office walls, and go inside the office and identify the file cabinets and could start reading the file label folders. And um, it turned out, then they put a stop to this because it turned out that it was the person who originally picked it, it was a military installation in the Midwest and it was all completely accurate what he described. Um, and how do you explain those things? You could say, well, that's ridiculous. That, never, that can't happen. And yet, there are countless experiments where that's exactly what happened. And to me, this concept of a field can help explain that. When I really got this, it occurred to me that I am responsible for the energy field I put out into the world. If I'm angry, that's the energy I transmit. If I'm happy, then that's what I send out. It doesn't matter if the person next to me knows it or not, what I put out impacts them, and vice versa. Once I really got that, I resolved to work at only putting out positive energy. I'm not perfect by any means, not by a long shot. 
Um, but I'm improving and continuing to work on it. When I became aware of this, I wondered how I could shift what I put out energetically. One of the areas that was causing me at that time frustration uh, was commuting to work on a very busy, crowded freeway. My perception was that people were rude drivers. There was a place where I had to merge onto the freeway and oftentimes the person wouldn't let me in because they were inching along and so I'd have to kind of force my way in or people would cut me off and I'd get angry and I'd get to work and I'd be angry at how rude the drivers were. Um, in short, I became something like them. I didn't use my car, but I certainly was using my energy. Um, of course, that wasn't what I thought at the time, because as you remember my shtick, I'm right and they're wrong, um, if you were here last night. But then one day I read something that made me see that I was making this all up. It might have been the four agreements, and I can't remember if I've mentioned that or not in my talks, but the four agreements was written by Don Miguel Ruiz, who comes from a Toltec tradition out of Mexico. He lives in Reno now with his sons and family. But in that book, Ruiz says, we are taught all kinds of messages while we're growing up um, that we agree to, and so those messages become our reality. He gives the example of, did I say this already last night? This is sounding very familiar. Okay, I said it in a prayer group. I'm not sure, I've been practicing my talk and I can't remember if I actually said it somewhere. So Anyway, so this little girl loved to sing and um, her mother came home from work one day, very frustrated with her job and you know, tired after a long day of work. And her little, the little girl started singing to her mother. And the mother snapped. She got impatient. And she snapped. And she said, would you stop that singing? You don't sing very well anyway. And so the little girl took that in. And what Miguel Ruiz says is she made an agreement with the statement her mother gave her that she couldn't sing. And that became her reality, and so she didn't sing anymore. And he says that we are enculturated into a whole panoply of agreements which are not reality. And in fact, what we should do is forget all of those agreements and just focus on four agreements we make with ourselves. And the first of those agreements is to be impeccable with your word. You speak only truth. You um, are conscious and um, very conscious of everything that you say because your words have power, as Mike pointed out in one of his talks. Um, and you become impeccable with your word. You don't tell lies, you don't tell stories, you don't gossip. You become impeccable with your word. So that's the first agreement. The second agreement is don't make assumptions. I can't tell you how often in negotiations the teachers union would say something and I would make an assumption of what I thought they meant and then my reaction would be triggered by my assumption I made. And if I actually stopped to check it out, often they'd say, well, that's not what we meant. I'd say, well, that's what you said. Well, no, that's not what we meant. And so the second agreement is don't make assumptions. And we do it all the time. And sometimes you just assume things like the sun will come up and things like that. But when you're dealing with other people, uh, it's important not to make assumptions about who they are or what they mean or what their intention is. Um, you, somebody may be having a really bad day and that's the only piece of them you see 
Um, and so you make an assumption that that's how they are all the time, and that's not necessarily true. And the third agreement is don't take it personally. What he says is, your opinion of me is none of my business. It's a reflection of who you are and the filters. Remember, I talked about filters last night. It's a product of the filters that you're using to see me, but I shouldn't take it personally. And that works both positively and negatively. So if somebody says something to me that's something negative, I shouldn't agree with them. I shouldn't take it personally. It's not about me necessarily. Um, but it's more a reflection of them and how they're seeing me. Which isn't to say that there can't be learning from someone holding up the mirror for you, but taking things personally so often can lead to disagreements and assumptions about people's intentions, about what they meant. Um, you know, they might have said something that was culturally insensitive, but you just didn't know that. Um, ooh. Um, so don't take things personally. And then the fourth agreement is to do your best. There's going to be days when you do better than other days on the other three agreements. So just don't beat yourself up about it. Just do your best. So those are the four agreements. And that book had a really powerful influence on me. Our book group at church studied that book. And I actually shared it with my boss, who was the superintendent. And then he read it, and he asked all of his cabinet to read it. And then he started telling PTA groups about it. And, um, so that was interesting. So anyway, back to driving to work and being angry. I realized that I was making up stories and assumptions about other drivers, and they were the villains of my story. They were rude, they weren't following courtesy on the road, um, and I made up all these stories. They were doing it to me, they cut me off. Um, so I asked myself, do I like getting to work angry? And the answer was no, it didn't make my day go any better or any more smoothly, and I don't want to be angry if I can help it. So I looked at what was causing my anger, and it was these stories I was making up about these other drivers who were just in their own little world driving to work. And so I decided to make up different stories and make them heroes of my stories instead of villains. And so then when somebody cut me off, I would say, I think that person's a doctor, and they've just gotten an emergency call to head to the hospital to deliver a baby, and that baby's going to grow up and save the world and bring world peace. You go, guy, and you be safe. So those, I started making up those kind of stories. I mean, if you're driving to work and you're in traffic, you might as well do something with your brain instead of getting all worked up about traffic. So I just started having fun making up all these stories that made these other drivers the hero instead of the villain. And you know what? Pretty soon, I swear people became better drivers. <laughs> I wasn't even aware of being cut off. People would let me in. I didn't observe people tailgating me anymore. I think I sent out an energy field that just made a difference. Now, ironically, when I was writing this talk, the very next day in Sacramento's paper, it said, good news, Sacramento no longer has the worst drivers in the country. We've, we've slipped down to the third uh, worst drivers in the country. <laughs> 
I think God has a sense of humor. It's it's real clear that we do not control another's actions. We can only control our own responses to their actions. So things happen, and I mentioned last night landmark education. One of the things that they say is people are meaning, M-E-A-N-I-N-G, meaning-making machines. We make things mean something. So somebody does something, and that's what it is. They do something. They didn't do it to us. Remember, don't take it personally. They just did something. How we respond is up to us. We control that piece, and that's all we control. So how will we choose? Will I make assumptions about their motives that make them villains of my made-up story? Or will I choose a different story that makes them a hero? It's up to me. And in choosing a good story that makes me happy, that's the energy I send out. Now, I would never consider if I'm driving to roll down my window and throw a bunch of trash out the window. It would never, ever happen. But when I send out negative energy, I think that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm polluting the atmosphere around me. When we are in a state of delight or joy, I believe we're connected with God. Here is a quote that I really like. Joy is the infallible sign of the presence of God. Joy is the infallible sign of the presence of God. That was written by Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, a Jesuit priest and paleontologist in the first half of the 20th century. He wrote that our evolution is, a, is moving toward unification in consciousness with the rest of the humanity, and that at that time, we will reach the omega point, or the unification with God. And I think we can do that through joy and delight. We won't get there by being angry, or holding on to anger, or perceived injustices, or impatience, or any other state of being that pulls down our energy and is not based in love or joy. When we set an intention, I believe that intention is carried into the universe through our energetic field. And the more we can implant that intention into our field and send it out and experience the energy as though that intention is already manifested, the more likely that our intention will be realized. There's a program called Heart Math, and I don't know if you're familiar with that, but we did some activities along this line in our church. And um, it's basically where you think of an intention, something that you want, and it could be very simple. You could do a test run with something simple. Um, and you state that intention to yourself. And then you think of something that brings you joy. You just bring it to mind. It could be your grandkids. It could be a flower. It could be anything that makes you feel joy. And with that thing or person in mind, you close your eyes and you go into your heart and you really feel that feeling of joy. And you feel it in every cell of your being and you feel it spreading out from you and surrounding you. So I'd like, if you're, if you're willing to go along with me, I'd like us to do a little heart math activity. So if you can think of some simple intention, just bring it to mind, something simple. 
And now think of something that brings you joy, whatever it may be. Just think of something that brings you joy. Bring that to mind and feel it in your heart. Feel your heart expanding as it fills with joy. Feel that joy spreading out through every cell of your being. Feel it spreading out from you and surrounding you. Feel that, feel that joy filling this room. then spreading out beyond this room. Keep feeling that joy as you hold in mind and heart whatever it is that brings you that joy. Now in that state of joy, state your intention to yourself. Now imagine that intention being carried out into the universe on the waves of your joy. Now just release it, let it go, and come back into this space. And when you're ready, open your eyes. Could you feel the joy? I certainly could from up here. I felt it as waves. It's a very beautiful energy. I think joy is the pathway to the divine. In our joy, we bless ourselves, we bless others, we bless the world. I love that song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Gonna Let It Shine. That's what we're doing when we're in a state of joy. I've been deeply blessed this week by your presence and my presence with you. I've been blessed by your love. I've been blessed by conversations, by laughter, by silence, by prayer, by singing. There's no other place in my life besides camp where I can experience such blessings at such a deep level. I want to thank you all for embracing me so lovingly, for supporting me, for sharing yourselves with me, for including me and inviting me to share my journey with you. May God's love abide in you in joy and wonder. Now, for the, the last five minutes of my talk, I'd like to share with you my version of Charles Kuralt's Good Morning, where at the end of every program, he just had this video of scenery. 
And so I've put together some pictures which Jay has very graciously put together as a slideshow of my garden of delight, pictures I've taken in my garden. And Dana's going to play some music, and I invite you to just take it in, continue to feel that joy that's in your heart. Thank you, and God bless you.
Thank you, Diana. <laughs> um, let's just move into ease into rhythms with wiggling our fingers, wiggling our toes, feeling God in our bodies, our temples. This is our last day to be out on the rhythms field, to pray together, and we have more dancing and blessing, and I also brought the bubbles again if people want to use the bubbles. And uh, run to the bathroom, run to get your sunscreen, and we'll meet you out there soon. <laughs>